Welcome to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. I'm Judge Valerie Zachary. To my right is Judge Michael Stadding. To my left is Judge Carolyn Thompson. To your right is uh, Deputy uh, Clerk Roderick McFarland and, to, and uh, Officer Richard Remillard. We have two cases, on the pan, um, two cases scheduled with two different panels this afternoon. The first is Ennis versus Farm Bureau. Uh, the second is Turpin versus Charlotte Latin. That will start at three o'clock. So if you're here for that one and you wanna step out, this would be a good time to do that. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Otherwise, you're welcome to stay. Is council ready to proceed? Great, please proceed. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Walter Brock, and along with uh, Matt Burke, we are proud to represent North Carolina Farm Bureau. Appreciate this opportunity to address the court. Uh, I know a lot of times the court decides not to hear cases, and I think this is one that's important to hear because the underinsured motorist statute can be confusing. Did you reserve some time for rebuttal? I would like to reserve 10 minutes, please. 10 minutes, okay. Great. Thank you. Let me just start out with, with the big picture. North Carolina Farm Bureau paid its underinsured motorist limits of $100,000 before it was obligated to do that. Uh, it, it did that not because the underlying uh, liability insurance policy had been exhausted, but it did so because it had the op option under the statute and the option, of course, under its policy to go ahead and pay its limits then uh, but it was, it was incentivized to do so by the statute, and the statute says that if you go ahead and pay your underinsured motorist limit, then your, your right of reimbursement is established. Uh, and so both the statute and the policy provide for that, provide that the right of reimbursement is established by the payment of your limit uh, under your underinsured motorist coverage. Why would the General Assembly differentiate between pre-exhaustion and post-exhaustion subrogation rights? Well, but to encourage carriers to go ahead and it get to their injured parties, injured insureds, the money without having to wait for the underlying case to have to be litigated to a judgment and only upon the entry of a judgment in the underlying case exhausting that exhausts the underlying liability policy would there be any obligation for the underinsured motorist care to pay? So the statute, in fact, by the legislature encourages the UIM carrier to go ahead and pay that money up front without waiting, could be years, who knows how long it would be before that, would, uh, that uh, right would arise under the underinsured motorist coverage. Well, That's why does it make a difference if it's uh, pre-exhaustion or post-exhaustion? Why does what? Why would it make a difference whether or not you'd be subrogated? Well, uh, because if if it's if you've already paid your limit, right, then you you are you you are provided by statute that right of reimbursement. Your policy also provides you that right of reimbursement. The 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 whole issue about advancing advancing blocks the underlying settlement. That's what an advance does. You have, in order to block the underlying settlement so that you can 
under the statute exercise your right of subrogation. That means you, the un underinsured motorist carrier, take action against the tortfeasor. That's an exercise of your subrogation rights. And so if you want to exercise that right, rather than pay your limit and take your chances, which Farm Bureau did here, paid its limit, takes its chances on whether, they're, whether the, the uh, injured party even pursues any more recovery or not. They don't have to. They've already received their UIM limit. It's non-refundable. If you advance, do you have to block the settlement? Can't you agree with it? Well, then, the, it, if there's a settlement, there's a settlement, and mm -hmm. it, basically the case is over. There's nothing to pursue. Okay. Right. right. So, uh, you, you, to advance, you're, it, it, I can't imagine a circumstance where, where, the, where without uh, blocking it, where there wouldn't be a blocking of the settlement, because then, only then do you have a case to pursue on against the tortfeasor and potentially recover your subrogation. So if I'm understanding you correctly, are you saying that the only point in advancing is to be able to block the settlement? Basically, right, right. I'm, I, I'm sure there may be some circumstance somebody can think of where that wouldn't be the primary purpose, but the primary purpose of, of, of advancing is to exercise your right under the policy to not approve the settlement, but to do to not approve the settlement and to allow the case to proceed, you must assume there's some ability to recover above the liability limits, correct? Otherwise, otherwise there'd be no reason to block that. So, so basically the primary purpose of that is to you you advance, and the reason you advance, of course is you're saying, you're telling the insured, we're going to delay your recovering these liability limits. So in order for us to be able to exercise our right to go after somebody for, for more money, we're going to go ahead and, and guarantee that you've gotten what was offered to you. Right. Well, now, the plaintiffs are contending that under the Farm Bureau policy, there's no sub right of subrogation in this instance. How do you respond to that contention? I would like to point out how they're wrong about that, if I may. Please. Hold the policy up. Mr. McFarland, if I could demonstrate that. This is a subrogation provision. And you'll see there are two sections, a section A uh, and a section B. And let me pull this down. Okay. So th this is the entire sub provision uh, on our right to recover. It says, if we make a payment under this coverage, which is UIM coverage, and the person to or for whom payment was made has a right to recover damages from another, we shall be subrogated, we shall be subrogated to that right. Further, the execution of a covenant not to enforce by the injured party shall not preclude us from pursuing our right to, to sue for otherwise recovery uh, any payment made under the coverage from anyone else who may be liable. And then it goes on to say, and here's where we're going to distinguish between exercising the right of subrogation and standing back and, and, and simply insisting on your right of reimbursement. So it says, the person to or for whom payment was made shall do, one, whatever is necessary to enable us to exercise our rights. What does that mean? That means to pursue that subrogation, to, to participate in the litigation, to 
participate in making that claim to pursue that right. It's exercising. It's taking affirmative action. Right? And then it says nothing after loss to prejudice them. And then it says, and this is what, this is what uh, Appley uh, harps on, and I'll explain to you why it doesn't apply here. One, because we weren't exercising our rights. We didn't. We took our chance. Second, however, it says, however, our rights under this paragraph, this paragraph A, do not apply against the owner or operator of an underinsured motor vehicle if we have been given written notice in advance of a settlement and fail to advance payment in an amount equal to the tentative settlement within 30 days following receipt of such notice. Okay, our rights under this paragraph A is what that's referring to. And this paragraph A is referring to exercising our subrogation rights, which means we're either we're taking over or we're working in conjunction with the insured to pursue a third party so that we can recover that subrogation interest. What means that? That that's ex exercise means that's what it means. It, okay. You know, um, exercising your subrogation rights is pursuing the subrogation rights against someone else. The, per, the party who may be liable to to your insured. That means pursuing. It, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean um, uh, securing a right of reimbursement. No, no, it doesn't right because the, the, the policy and the statute speak differently to that. If we look at section B of the policy, okay, this is section B. This is not section A where you're exercising rights. This is section B. If we make payment under this coverage and the person to or for whom payment is made recovers damages from another, that person shall hold in trust. Um, excuse me, we can't see below oh. shall. Okay, thank I'm, you. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Okay. Start B. If we make a payment under this coverage and the person to or for whom payment is made recovers damages from another, that person shall hold in trust the proceeds of the money and reimburse us to the extent of our payment. So that's where the policy says, okay, we have the, and, and this parallels the statute. We, if we exercise our rights, then we get, we get to block your settlement and we get to either participate with you or on our own to recover from the third party. Here, however, Farm Bureau didn't do that. It paid its limits. It paid before it had to. And so it's relying on the provisions of subsection B there uh, that the plaintiff has to hold that money in trust uh, and reimburse to the extent of our payment. And that's what we, the record will show, that's what we asked for. We asked for reimbursement from the insured. We weren't pursuing or exercising our rights against the tortfeasor. Mm -hmm. Our motion was, was in, in basically uh, to intervene at the time that the settlement was approved with the minor and to seek enforcement of our uh, reimbursement right under the policy and, and under the statute. And we believe that's entirely consistent, Your Honor, with the statute. The, the, the right of subrogation starts actually in the uninsured motorist provision at subsection B3. And this particular excerpt points that out. It says, in the event of a payment to any person under the coverage required by this section, 
and subject to the terms and conditions of coverage, the insurer making payment shall, to the extent thereof, be entitled to the proceeds of any settlement or judgment resulting from the exercise of any limits of recovery that person of that person against any personal organization legally responsible for the bodily injury for which the payment is made. So that establishes the right. That's incorporated into the UIM statute. Uh, and as, as Blong pointed out, um, that subdivision <coughs> three is incorporated into the UIM statute. So we start with that right of subrogation. And then if we go to the statute, the first section of the statute, <coughs> and this is where Mr. Straley and I keep talking past each other, uh, but so the court gets to resolve this. And I think, I think the statute and the policy um, are congruous and, and, and the reading that we're proposing is rational and makes sense under the statute and the policy. Because under the, we call it under the first type of, of subrogation, that, be, that being the type of subrogation where you pay before you have to, to the benefit of your insured, but you're incentivized to do so, so that you will have a right, a, a, a vested right to subrogation. And the statute says an under, underinsured motorist insurer. Now this is, this is talk, so, so let me back up. Uh, subsection three establishes the right of subrogation under the, un, the uh, uninsured motorist coverage. And then this subsection four is explaining, okay, underinsured motorist coverage is a, is a little different animal, so this is how it plays out for underinsured motorist coverage. An underinsured motorist <laughs> insurer may, at its option, upon a claim pursuant to underinsured motorist coverage, pay monies without their having first been an exhaustion of the liability insurance policy covering the ownership, use, and maintenance of the underinsured highway vehicle. So it's saying, okay, you, you may do that anytime you want to, right? But of course an insurer can pay that money anytime it wants to. So there's a reason for this to be in the statute because the statute grants them that subrogation right by doing that and therefore incentivizes them to do it when there would be no reason otherwise to do that. And when it goes on to say, in the event of payment, the underinsured motorist insurer shall be either entitled to receive by assignment from the claimant any right or subrogated to the claimant's right regarding any claim the claimant has or had against the owner, operator, or maintainer. Does that mean subrogated to pursue a claim against? The, uh, the uh, owner, operator, or maintainer of the underinsured highway vehicle? They could. They could. But to do that, they would have to block the underlying settlement and then advance. Mm -hmm. So they could exercise that right. right. But they didn't. But if they wanted to exercise that right, they had, they, they did have. But to. it doesn't say advance in that. No, it doesn't. No, it, no, it doesn't. But the next section that, that we're going to talk about says uh, no insurer shall exercise any right, and that's what that requires the advancement, when you're exercising the right to pursue that subrogation, not when you're standing back and waiting for reimbursement if there ever is any, and there may mm -hmm. not be any. Mm -hmm. If you just pay your money in advance and sit back and wait and let the plaintiff do what the plaintiff will do. Well, the plaintiff says you can't win if you're not in. 
Where is that? <laughs> I hear, I, I saw that. That's not in the statute. And that you have to advance to win in the form of subrogation. But um, that's, that defies the policy and that defies the plain language of the statute. You got, I think the language was you got to be in to win or something like that. That's not part of the law. The law encourages uninsured motorist carriers to pay their limits early so that they will secure their right of reimbursement. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that a good idea? I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding why isn't that a good idea? And if they haven't secured their right of reimbursement by doing that early, why would anybody do it? Because they're not obligated to do it. So I think we're talking past each other. We're talking past each other because we have paid when we didn't have to. And we were encouraged to do that because we secure our right of reimbursement. And, and, and there's been talk about it, exhaustion, and, and, and let's, let's keep in mind when exhaustion matters or not. Exhaustion applies, exhaustion is a principle that applies when an unin, uninsured motorist carrier is obligated to pay under its statute. So, for example, we had the register case, which was talking when the time started to run for uh, you to make a claim uh, or, or to, to make a, a demand for, for um, arbitration. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're, 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 there, there's no doubt that there had been no exhaustion under the policy because the statute says so. And the statutory definition of exhaustion is right here. Uninsured motorist coverage is deemed to apply when by reason of payment of judgment or settlement, all liability policies applicable to the accident have been exhausted. Exhaustion of liability coverage for the purpose of any single liability claim presented for underinsured motorist coverage is deemed to occur when either the limits of liability per claim have been paid upon the claim or by reason of multiple claims, the aggregate per occurrence limit of liability has been paid. So, so Farm Bureau paid Early on in the process, there had been no exhaustion. There had been, there had been an offer of settlement, but the record reflects the plaintiff had already advised everybody, I'm not going to accept your policy limits. Nationwide offered their policy limits, but this was a situation where, and proof is in the pudding, they didn't accept the, the, the policy limits. Uh, Mr. Straley, uh, wants to forget the first two sentences of the statute and focus only on that section of the statute which talks about exercising a right of subrogation and we acknowledge we had no right to exercise a right of subrogation unless we advanced because that's what it says but we did not exercise a right of subrogation it says no insurer shall exercise any right of subrogation or any right to approve settlement with the original owner, operator, or maintainer of the uninsured motorist vehicle. So the bottom line is we didn't. Exercising it implicitly requires, and again, there may be some circumstance where it doesn't block a settlement, but typically you block the settlement. In order to block the settlement, you have to guarantee the injured party the amount that they were, that they were of the tentative settlement. And here's another important thing about this. This, this pr provision refers to tentative settlements. It doesn't refer to exhaustion. Um, so I, are you saying then that 
Farm Bureau did not exercise the right of, re a right of uh, subrogation because a right of subrogation is different from a right of reimbursement. Exactly. Okay. It says so under the, and this is consistent with the policy. Because if you remember. It says, it says so where you say, you started to say it says so. Okay, well, back to the tentative settlement. Well, you said you were saying where it said, I, th I thought you were getting ready to say where it, tell it says that the right of subrogation is different than the right of reimbursement. And please, please correct me if I misunderstood. Well, it's just by operation of the statute and it's mm -hmm. by, by, by operation of the policy. Okay, okay. Because the, the, um, the, the, the second part of the statute that, that the uh, appellee were keeps focusing on is no insurer shall <clears throat> exercise. And it, it doesn't talk about exercise. Well, what does that mean? If, if, the, if the legislature meant that you shall have no right of subrogation unless you advance, mm -hmm. they could have said that, couldn't they? But they didn't because they're talking about, they're talking about essentially blocking a settlement and, and you shouldn't be able to block a settlement unless you advance that amount to guarantee that amount to the injured party. Uh, and, 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 this I, and I understand that, the, that the strictly speaking, the right of reimbursement is different from the right of subrogation, but haven't the North Carolina cases traditionally treated a right of subrogation as the equivalent of a right of reimbursement? I, doesn't Blong seem to treat, doesn't Blong seem to treat the right of a, uh, uh, subrogation is equivalent to the right of reimbursement? Well, I think it, I think it does. I, it, it, there's a question as to whether Blong was really subrogation or not, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. but, but it's reimbursement, one way or the other. And, and I don't want to quibble with that. What I'll quibble with you about, though, is if you challenge whether there's an importance to the words exercise, because that's what's important in the statute. Okay. Thank you. I, I, you know, it looks like you've run into your uh, rebuttal time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your patience with all my questions. Appreciate all the questions. May it please the court, David Stradley of the Wake County Bar on behalf of Paul Ennis, the guardian ad litem uh, for Tommy Grace. Um, I think the court's familiar with the facts here, but just to set the timeline, uh, there was a terrible single vehicle car crash in which Tommy suffered uh, a severe traumatic brain injury, was hospitalized for many weeks, um, and uh, he, um, he was riding with a gentleman who was insured by Nationwide. That gentleman had $300,000 of liability coverage. His mother had uh, a policy with Farm Bureau that provided $100,000 of underinsured motorist coverage. The, the tortfeasor's policy also had $300,000 of underinsured motorist coverage. So that meant there was $400,000 of underinsured motorist coverage and $300,000 of liability coverage. That's important because that means that at some point, if the case was worth more than, was worth $400,000 or more, Farm Bureau was going to owe $100,000 of UIM coverage. That was never in doubt. Here. And that, so there's no dispute between the parties of those amounts? 
There's no dispute that I'm aware of as to those amounts, Your Honor. Um, and so uh, the, the tort fees, excuse me, Mr. Mr. Grace's counsel, Tommy's counsel, uh, made a, a demand on the liability carrier to pay the $300,000 for this uh, case. And for whatever reason, the liability carrier didn't do it. And put a time limit on it, and they didn't pay, and so he withdrew the demand and filed a lawsuit. Um, after the lawsuit was filed, uh, the liability carrier, which was nationwide, uh, offered, then offered to pay its $300,000 limits. And it did so in the form of an offer of judgment under Rule 68 of the Rules of Civil Procedure. Um, at that point, uh, I was involved by that point, we gave notice to Farm Bureau of that offer of judgment and said there's been a $300,000 settlement offer here and gave Farm Bureau a chance to advance that $300,000 if it wanted to preserve its subrogation. And I think I, in the record, our letter even says that. If you want to preserve your right of subrogation, you need to advance within 30 days. There was no advance. Again, undisputed. Um, the litigation proceeded. Uh, at some point, Farm Bureau decided that rather than spend money and time monitoring the litigation, it would pay its $100,000 in UIM coverage. And uh, it did that. Um, later, the case was litigated, and it was mediated, and the case settled um, at the mediated settlement conference. The same day of the mediated settlement conference, we provided notice to Farm Bureau of that settlement. And there was no question we were going to take that money because it, it was a mediated settlement agreement. Uh, and again, they chose not to advance. And so given, they were given two opportunities to advance in the case, and they didn't advance either time. Uh, so Farm Bureau never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Well, I have a question for you. Respond, you know, in response to what your colleague said, you know, is there any point in advancing if you're not going to block the settlement? No, the, 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 the purpose of, so, so the purpose of the advance requirement, if you, if you really dig into this UIM stuff like, Mr. Brock and I do uh, for a living, um, and, and I realize it can be somewhat, uh, somewhat dense material, but, but the notion behind this advancement requirement is, yes, it blocks the settlement, but it also gets money to, it gets that money that was offered by the liability carrier to the victim immediately without having to wait uh, any, any further. And but, that, if you, but if you don't want to block the settlement, why would you do that? If, because the statute says, as we'll get into, Your Honor, that if you don't do that, you lose your right of subrogation. And it really doesn't, from the, from the tort victim's perspective, it makes absolutely no difference whether there's a settlement with the liability carrier or not. Because the tort victim gets the money. If there's an advance, they get the money from the UIM carrier. If there's not an advance, they get the money from the liability carrier. So the tort victim... In, in terms of Mr. Brock suggests that this is getting money to the tort victim faster, it's, getting, it's not getting money to the tort victim faster. What happened here was instead of getting $300,000 to the tort victim, they only got $100,000 to the tort victim, and they got that even later than they would have gotten it if they had complied with the statute in advance, or if they, even if they had complied with their policy in advance. So um, the... The bottom line on this case, which perhaps I should have started with, is that 
Farm Bureau's own policy language blocks its claim here. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to explain that because your, your colleague disagrees with you on that. He does, uh, Your Honor, and, and uh, unfortunately um, for Mr. Brock, uh, he was for it before he was against it. Um, and if, because if you look at page 51 of the record, because what I heard today for the first time, for the very first time in this litigation, what I heard today from Mr. Brock was, oh, we're not here on subrogation, we're here on reimbursement. Well, if you go to page 51 of the record, which is Farm Bureau's motion that they filed, it is entitled, Motion to Enforce Subrogation Right. It is not entitled, Motion to Enforce Reimbursement Right. And if you look over at the prayer for relief on page 55 of the record, Farm Bureau NCFB praised the court for an order directing that $100,000 from the approved confidential settlement be paid to NCFB in satisfaction of its contractual and statutory subrogation right. So, let's start with the contract. Mr. McFarland, if you could um, give me the video here, thank you. Mr. Brock says that this paragraph A only applies to subrogation. So first of all, this section is entitled Our Right to Recover Payment. And as I think Farm Bureau concedes, if it doesn't advance, it doesn't have a right of subrogation. And then if you go down and look at, so, so this is the part that Mr. Mr. Brock says deals with subrogation, even though if you, if you read the paragraph, it is far, far from clear that, the, that there is this distinction between reimbursement and, and subrogation. Uh, that, that, is, that, that is ambiguous at best, and as the court knows, ambiguities are, are resolved in favor of the policyholder, not in favor of the insurance company. So what we have here today is what I call the Pony Express method of argument. You ride one horse until it falls over dead, and then you switch horses and jump on another one and keep riding. And uh, I commend Mr. Brock for his versatility, but that's not the way we argue in the North Carolina appellate courts. I think, the ca I think there's a, the, a case out there that says you're not permitted to switch horses to gain a better mount. And that's exactly what we got here. We got some horse swapping going on right here in the courtroom today for the first time with a new argument. So are, are you saying then that this boils down to a question of statutory interpretation of 20-279.21? I'm saying that among other things, Your Honor. I'm saying that, he, that you can get there either through the contract or you can get there through the statute. And so the first thing is Farm Bureau in their brief, we didn't hear anything about this today, but in the brief they say, oh, well, don't worry about that contract. Don't worry about that contract because the statute constricts the contract. Well, the, 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 the Supreme, first of all, the legislature says that's not right. 20-279.21G, part of the Financial Responsibility Act, says that, it's on the screen, that basically a carrier can provide more coverage than is required by the act, but it can't provide less. Well, how is this for providing more coverage? Because, because Mr. Brock says 
that they don't have to advance to preserve their subrogation rights, and, and the policy says they do. The policy says they have to advance, and he says, well, the statute doesn't require that. Well, it doesn't matter what the statute requires if the contract requires it. The contract requires them to advance, and, and they have to do it. And, the, and if you look at Plasnick uh, versus Federated from the Supreme Court, it says it is generally accepted that the insured should be able to negotiate for a policy provision which is more favorable than prescribed by the statute. So. Well, there, they, I mean, it says right there in that paragraph that what, what they're talking about in that case is the ability to select a higher limit of UIM coverage, which is not the situation here. The, true, but we are talking about a policy provision, that, at least according to Mr. Brock, is more favorable than the than what is mandated by the statute, and so the so the Supreme Court says that's okay. And if you go back and look at the Alford versus the Textile Insurance Company case, that's a that's an insurance company or insurance case, and it's it talks about the sanctity of the freedom of contract, and that that we don't tell people how they can contract unless there's a serious public policy at issue, uh, and and so uh, both the act and the court say. More coverage is fine. More favorable coverage is fine. So you're not you're not relying on Silvers then. Uh, Silvers is is also helpful uh, to the cause, Your Honor, um, because uh, uh, again that was a case where so so let's talk about this. I mean, we're, this is this is floor, not ceiling, is is the concept here. That's what that's what Silvers says. If Silvers says you can't have a policy provision that gives you less. Plasnick says, but you can have a policy provision that gives you more. Um, and, and so that is the, that's the, that's the insurance policy argument as to why they don't have a, a subrogation right, coupled with the fact that they never asked for reimbursement. They told the trial court they wanted subrogation. They told this court they wanted subrogation in the briefs. And today, we find out, oh, no, that... That horse has come up lame, so we're going to switch horses. Are you contending that this was a bargain for um, contractual provision? I, I am contending that to the extent insurance policies, Your Honor, are ever bargained for. I mean, we all know. I agree. You know, we all go out and buy our insurance, right? And, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I go see my agent or call them on the phone, and I tell them what coverage I want, and, they, and I give them some money. And I don't find out what coverage I actually have until weeks later when I get the policy in the mail. Um, so to the extent that insurance coverage is ever bargained for, and, and, and frankly, I think our case law, it, perhaps that's a legal fiction, but the, but the idea is that this is a contract and it is bargained for. Um, and, but we all also know that none of us write these insurance contracts, right? I don't get to write my insurance contract and hand it to the insurance company and say, what do you charge for this? They write it, it's construed against them, but once they give it to me, that's a bargain that I get the benefit of. So, so then, just to make this clear, it's your contention that the UIM statute does not override any, um, does not override any policy language? I, what I'm saying in this case is, whether you look at the statute or the contract, there's no subrogation here. And, I, and we'll get to the statute in a minute. Um, if I let you, right? Well, that, <laughs> that's will, true. It's not my I will quit asking questions. No, no, no. It's your courtroom. I'm here to answer your questions. Um, 
And, and so, but, but with the court's permission, I will talk about briefly the, the, the statute. Please do. Um, um, I think that Mr. Brock missed his calling. He should have been a surgeon because he is very good at excising the language that he doesn't like from the statute. And so if you look at the statute uh, and the way it was constructed by the legislature, there's this big long paragraph, and I've put uh, some of it, the first two sentences on the screen. Um, and the first sentence is the sentence that Mr. That Mr. Brock had sp spent a bunch of time focusing on um, and suggests to you that if they pay early, then, they, then their right of subrogation is secure. But, but the problem with that is that it's immediately followed by, not, not in the next paragraph, not on the next page, not in the next section, immediately in the very next sentence in the same paragraph, it says, no insurer, I'm pretty sure Farm Bureau is an insurer, all right? So no insurer shall exercise any right of subrogation unless where they've been given notice and failed to advance. That's what the rest of that thing says. So I don't know how they get around no and any. I mean, no insurer shall exercise any right. And as, as I see it, as I see it, and if you look at, let, let's look at, actually, let's look up top. Let's look at the previous sentence. Mr. Mr. Brock says, well, if they pay early, they get either an assignment or they're subrogated. Those are the two options, assignment or subrogated. If there's an assignment in this case, I haven't seen it. There's no assignment here. In fact, if you look at the order approving the $100,000 settlement payment from Farm Bureau, we said we don't believe you got a subrogation right. And we're not agreeing to, you know, we're not giving you anything, but what we will do is agree to push it down the road and deal with it another day. And, and they said, yeah, we do have one, but we agree. We'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree right now and deal with it another day. So there's no assignment. So the only thing that's left, A is assignment, B is subrogation, and there ain't no C. And so all they're left with is subrogation. And then you go down to the very next sentence, and it says, no insurer shall exercise any right of subrogation. Um, is there any North Carolina case law differentiating between the right of subrogation and the right of reimbursement? I, I don't know. What I do know is there's nothing in the statute that says anything about a right of reimbursement. Um, I don't believe there's any, any distinction there, and I do agree with, with, uh, with, with Mr. Brock that, that the Belong case, there's some question about whether, the, whether that's subrogation or reimbursement. There is no question, however, that Belong deals with B3 subrogation or reimbursement, whatever it is, which is under B3 of the statute, and we're talking about B4 of the statute. B3 is UIM, 20-279, B3 is UM, excuse me, uninsured motorist, 20-279.21B4 is underinsured motorist. And if you read Blong, there's no question that the Blong subrogation deals with B3, and importantly, 
B3 subrogation says it is subject to the terms of the policy, and that's why we haven't heard anything about B3 subrogation, because the policy says they don't get subrogation because they didn't advance. Um, now, whenever I start talking to appellate judges about the rules of statutory construction, I kind of feel like I'm giving a lecture to, uh, to, to Hubert Davis and uh, Mike Krzyzewski on dribbling. Um, because you guys do this for a living and, you know, we just kind of get to watch. But the, the bottom line is, and I think we're done over here um, the, on, with, the, with the video, the bottom line is that the best way to figure out what the legislature meant is to look at the words they used, and I know you all know that. Um, and if we look at the words they used, they're really just inescapable. No insurer shall exercise any right of subrogation unless they advance where they've been given notice. Now, again today, second new pony that has come up here is it's all about exercising. Well, you know, exercise, I don't, I'm aware of no case in North Carolina that talks about, that, that, that distinguishes exercising a right of subrogation from doing anything to get your money back. I don't think that distinction exists anywhere except uh, in, in, in Mr. Brock's mind. That is not a distinction that is known to North Carolina law. Um, and so the, the fact that, and, you know, I don't see how you, I don't see how you look at the, um, I don't see how you look at the, at the motion that was filed in the trial court here, again, starting page 51 of the record, and see that as anything but an attempt to exercise subrogation. They were trying to use subrogation to get their money. Um, and, or what they contend to be their money. Uh, we contend they're trying to get our money. Um, so, and, and I thought I heard Mr. Brock concede today that subrogation and reimbursement are different. So, while he wants to get reimbursement, he didn't ask for reimbursement below, he asked for subrogation, and the statute says you can't have it. Um, in terms of this notion of exhaustion, I just want to talk about that briefly. I don't think that's the, the, you know, the most uh, salient issue in the world, but it, it, it merits a minute or so. Um, North Carolina's courts, this court and the Supreme Court, have held that exhaustion occurs when there is a settlement offer. Uh, Register versus White is the Supreme Court case. Uh, the Creed case is the Court of Appeals case. Uh, and there also is this court's uh, opinion in Daughtry versus Castleberry. Uh, and in that case, which is kind of somewhat similar to this case, uh, the carrier said, in Daughtry, the carrier said, well, there really wasn't an exhaustion here. Uh, we knew there was a settlement offer, but we didn't know if they were going to take it. And the court said, no, 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 no. A settlement offer is an exhaustion. Uh, you, don't, you don't ever know if they're going to take it until they've taken it. Uh, and and it's, it's an exhaustion which triggers your 30 days, which means you have to advance. Um, the, um, the, 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 the final thing that I want to touch on uh, is there's a suggestion that the Tuttero case, the suggestion in the briefs that the Tuttero case um, it stands for the proposition that you don't have to advance uh, in order to preserve subrogation. But if you look at the Tuttero case, opinion by Judge Dietz, 
now Justice Dietz, um, he very clearly lays out the basis for the decision in about the last paragraph or the next to the last paragraph of the case. And, and he says, when the underlying liability insurers exhausted their limits of $200,000 policies by tendering the full limits, the UIM carriers had no duty to advance because they owed nothing under their policies. What was going on in Tuttero was there was $200,000 of liability. There was also $200,000 of UIM. So there was never, they were, the UIM carrier was never going to owe a penny. It's not like this case where he had 300 of liability and 400 of UIM where Farm Bureau was going to be on the hook for 100. And so the Tuttero case, there's just no question if you read the case, uh, contrary to what Farm Bureau says about it, um, the Tuttero case says they didn't have to advance because they didn't ever owe anything. It was basically a mistaken payment, uh, and so they didn't have to advance. And, and in fact, the court uses the word because twice in that paragraph, because they owed nothing under their policies. And then it says because State Farm did not have any obligation to advance under its UIM policy, the statutory provision governing waiver subrogation rights uh, upon failure to timely advance payment does not apply. So the Tuttero case is just completely inapposite. How do you respond to Farm Bureau's reliance on the Blong case? Well, you know, the Blong case is actually is, is quite interesting because the Blong case is, is actually pretty helpful to us on, uh, well, first of all, it, it's inapposite because, as I said before, it's B3 subrogation, not B4 subrogation. But it, it's helpful to us in that what the, farm, what the Blong case says is, if the policy says you don't get subrogation, it doesn't matter what the statute says. You don't get subrogation. Um, and, and so, you know, really, really the Blong case is, is and the other, I think the other thing that's important to remember about Blong, Blong was a dram shop subrogation situation. It was not a subrogation against the, tort fee, against the underinsured motorist situation. I think the rules of statutory construction are pretty clear that when there's one provision that speaks more specifically to a situation and, and one provision that's more general, the more specific controls, B4 here is the, is the provision of the statute that controls. It says, because there, this is clearly subrogation against, a, uh, against the, the un, underinsured motorist driver. This is not subrogation against some stranger to the situation like, uh, well, uh, some stranger to the, to the, to the actual wreck uh, because that was a dram shop case subrogation. Um, so to summarize, um, the arguments in the case should be confined to the briefs. I'm pretty sure there's something in the appellate rules about that. Um, we have heard today brand new arguments, um, but if you confine things to uh, the, the briefs, either the, both the policy says we win, the statute says we win, and even if you're inclined to entertain new arguments uh, today, if you look back at the record, today is the first day we've, that Farm Bureau has ever sought reimbursement, and the statute says they don't get reimbursement. And I guess I should, that reminds me to come back to your question, Your Honor. 
as I read the statute, reimbursement is a stranger to the statute. The policy says, the, excuse me, the statute says assignment or subrogation. It doesn't say reimbursement. And so this reimbursement is something, I mean, there is the word uh, reimbursement does appear in the policy, but that's not a statutory term. That's a policy term. Um, and the statute, when the statute's more favorable to us, the statute controls because the statute is the minimum that the insurance company has to provide, and the statute says no advance, no subrogation. Could not be any clearer. Not a lot of stuff about UIM is clear sometimes, um, but when it says no insurer shall exercise any right of subrogation, uh, I don't know that the legislature can be a whole lot clearer than that, uh, and that's what they said here. Uh, and, and we think that, along with the Farm Bureau's very similar policy provision, which says no right of subrogation without an advance, um, both of those dictate that the trial court's decision should be affirmed. And um, I thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you. You ready to proceed with rebuttal, sir? Thank you, Your Honor. First of all, I... <clears throat> It's bad enough when, when I put words in my mouth. It's worse when somebody else tries to put words in my mouth which weren't in my mouth. Uh, I, I don't believe you heard me argue that reimbursement and subrogation are different things. In, in fact, they both basically are the same thing, but to, to suggest that we didn't ask for reimbursement in our motion, I'll read from record page 54, paragraph 13. North Carolina Farm Bureau has a contractual and statutory subrogation right of reimbursement to the extent of its payment to the plaintiff to be money, to be recovered from the money the plaintiff recovers. So, so we, whether you call it subrogation or you call it reimbursement, we're talking about an, an animal of reimbursement here because there is such a right. Now, I agree that that we need to look at the policy and we need to look at the statute. And what, so the first two sentences of the statute established that right to reimbursement because it was paid before exhaustion. Now we have heard the argument that exhaustion means something other than what it's defined by statute. None of those cases dealt with a situation such as here where it was crystal clear that an offer would not be accepted. But more importantly, this advancement depends on a tentative settlement. And, and we looked at that uh, in, in the language, and that's in this, this separate section. The, the obligation to advance applies when there is a tentative settlement. And there was eventually a tentative settlement at the mediation. Mm -hmm. In the record, there's a letter from Mr. Stradley uh, uh, saying here's a, an offer of judgment made by Nationwide. Um, and, and I think we need to carefully read that because Mr. Stradley doesn't say if you don't advance this, 
we're going to accept this settlement offer. That's what, you, that's what you get when you get these letter, tender letters. If you don't advance that money, we're going to take it. He didn't say that. Record page 72. Record page 70, he says, we extended a policy limits demand. We received no response. We intend to pursue the claim to judgment in excess of even Farm Bureau's UIM limits. Mr. Stradley has stated the settlement offer will not be accepted. I suggest we take him at his word. And it was not. Proof is in, in the pudding. So again, we seem to be talking past one another because Mr. Stradley, I don't think it was in, meant as a, as a compliment calling me a surgeon. But Mr. Stradley keeps wanting to ignore a phrase in the statute, which we've talked about before. This, this is the point that seems to be ignored over and over and over again, and it makes everything tie together. Why is there a difference between the first two sentences and the rest of that provision we've been quoting? It's because of this. It's because if you want to exercise any right of subrogation or any right to approve settlement, i.e. block the settlement, then you, and there's a tentative settlement, you've got 30 days to advance the amount of the tentative settlement. Interestingly, in that situation, the, the UIM carrier typically has not, not already paid its policy limits. So it's not paying its policy limits and then tendering the amount of the tentative settlement. It's just tendering the amount of the tentative settlement. So Mr. Stradley's strained, strained argument that ignores the plain language of the statute says, Farm Bureau, you have to pay your policy limits and then you have to tender the tentative settlement to be entitled to subrogation. That's simply not what the statute says. Simply not what it says. It says if you want to exercise that right, you want to have some control over that litigation. And that is not inconsistent with the policy. To suggest the policy is, is inconsistent with that. Subsection A talks about exercising our rights. Subsection B talks about just standing back, taking your chances. And if there is a recovery, then seeking reimbursement as provided by the statute and as provided by the policy. There's not an inconsistency there. There's no way to reconcile the provisions that we keep arguing about unless exercise means something. Exercise, and again, this court knows the statutory rules of statutory construction. You know, it, words mean something. Exercise means something. It has to. If the legislature didn't mean it to mean something, it would say no insurer shall have a right of subrogation. No insurer will have a right of reimbursement unless you advance. And it doesn't say that. And it's a, re it's, it's a practical reason. There's, you know, y'all may be more familiar with workers' compensation subrogation. You're exercising that right. You're pursuing that subrogation. Um, uh, and and uh, so 
the way you reconcile this argument that we seem to be passing each other on is this phrase that Mr. Stradley doesn't want to grapple with, exercise. Exercise any right of subrogation or right to approve settlement, which in every situation I know of means block the settlement and then you pursue the subrogation because you believe that the tortfeasor has assets far in excess of what their liability limits were, and that would be the only reason that you would do that. Mr. Stradley is um, unfortunately mistaken about Blong. It is, it is a UIM subrogation, uh, and, and what Blong says is the provisions, as we argued previously, of, of Section B3 are incorporated into B4, uh, and Blong did not require an advance. It allowed a reimbursement without an advance. And if Mr. Stradley's argument is correct, then Blong is wrong. I choose Blong. So, in conclusion, we ask that the court simply apply the plain language of the statute, that it, that it recognize that by Farm Bureau paying its $100,000 limit before it had to, before exhaustion, that it secured its right of a reimbursement, that the statute in and the policy, the plain language of both statute and the policy, preserve that right of reimbursement or right of subrogation. Whichever word applies, it all means the same thing. You have a right to recover the money that you paid out. Exercising a right of subrogation means something different. And, and to follow this common sense, plain language reading of the statute and the policy, you accomplish the goal under the statute, that is to encourage an early payment of a UIM limits without waiting for the carrier to be obligated to make that payment by the establishment of a, a actual settlement or a judgment in excess of policy limits. Thank you so much for your questions. That concludes oral argument in this matter. I want to thank counsel for your excellent arguments regarding a very complicated subject. Mr. Clerk will now take a break.